Second Samuel chapter number 23. Second Samuel chapter number 23. Amen. Listen real close. You hear the sound of that baby? Isn't that the most awesome sound you can have in a church? Amen. I love it. I love it. I think I've done baby dedications four Sundays. I say baby or child dedications four Sundays in a row. Uh, I, I sort of feel, uh, y'all. if y'all don't have babies, I can't dedicate them. We should be dedicating one today. <laughs> and so uh, I, I love doing that. I love, I love having babies in the church. Amen. I love having babies in the church. And I say to all parents, I say to all parents, don't feel bad if your baby cries. The sound of a crying baby is way better than not having any babies, right? Amen. Give the Lord a praise. Isn't that awesome? Hallelujah. I think somebody ought to say praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. We ought to be praising. There's angels rejoicing in heaven. Amen. We ought to not let the angels out praise us right now. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. The book of 2 Samuel, chapter number 23. Today's going to be an awesome day. It already has been. Believing God to do great things in this morning and this evening's services. 2 Samuel, chapter number 23. If you found it, say praise the Lord. Verse number 11 and verse number 12. Verse 11 and verse 12. And after him was Shammah, the son of Agi, the Herorite. And the Philistines were gathered together into a troop. There was a piece of ground full of lentils. And the people fled from the Philistines. But he stood. I read this morning that a troop for the Philistines was 40,000 soldiers. The people fled from the Philistines, but he stood in the midst of the ground and defended it and slew the Philistines. And the Lord wrought a great victory. But he stood in the midst of the ground and defended it and slew the Philistines and the Lord wrought a great victory. I want to preach this morning on an apostolic strategy for war. An apostolic strategy for war. God, I pray for your anointing on me. Anoint my mind. Anoint my spirit. Anoint my voice, anoint my ears to hear your voice, God. Anoint the ear of the hearer today and the heart and the mind to be engaged, Lord. I pray, God, for the anointing of your spirit to move mightily in this place. Confirm your word with signs following. Let the anointing of the Holy Ghost fill this place, God. 
let the glory of the Lord rest on this house and accomplish your purpose in this place. Let the Holy Ghost sit down from heaven, fill this place. And do your work in this house, God. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Give the Lord a good hand clap of praise this morning. You can be seated in the presence of the Lord. Obviously, at the time of this message, war is on people's minds. I know that for those of you in attendance or watching by media, in the near term, that seems like a silly statement. Most of all of us know what's going on in the world, but there have been times I've listened to messages from 5, 10, 15, 20 years ago, and people make statements that were contemporary to that time that years later we forgot what it was about. And so for that situation, we understand as we've spoken about this morning that the situation in the Ukraine with Russia advancing on the capital, all of that is a very real thing in our current events. I have taught at the Bible College in Russia on a few separate occasions, and in those times we've always had students from Russia and from the Ukraine and surrounding countries in those sessions, and so I am praying for all of my, my friends and brothers and sisters that are involved in this situation. I've talked to our missionaries to Russia, Brother Stumbo, and I have communicated and I have promised him that we would be in prayer for them and their church family. Unfortunately, war is a part of life. Even if you will never actually physically fight in a war yourself, Make no mistake, you are engaged in a spiritual battle for your soul and for your family and for your eternity. 2 Corinthians 10, 3 and 4, Paul told the church at Corinth, though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. And then he said, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're not natural. They're not guns and bombs and weapons of that you can't fight a spiritual battle with a firearm or a gun or a fighter jet or a tank. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're all, just because they're not physical weapons that you hold in your hand doesn't mean that they're not mighty. The Bible said, for they are mighty through God. Amen. I'm looking at a church full of people who are mighty through God. You are not weak and powerless. You are not ineffective and inefficient. You are mighty through God. Every single person in this room right now, you may feel beat down. You may feel like you have no strength, but I'm telling you by the Bible, you are mighty through God. Amen. Not your ability, but God's ability. You are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Praise God. Amen. I like the way the writer said it. He said, pulling down strongholds. Because we always think of God in heaven pushing down the enemy. But I want you to know that because the anointing that you have on your life, you have the ability to pull down things that the devil's put up in front of you and in front of your family and in front of other people. You have the ability to pull down things that the devil has sent to make war 
against you. Amen. We are in a war, but our weapons are spiritual and mighty through God. The time context of the passage of Scripture for this morning comes from a period of history, history where Israel, where war was very common for them. They had a consistent and violent enemy known to history as the Philistines. Perhaps the most famous battle in all of world history took place in this multi-generational war between Israel and the Philistines. It is the battle of David and Goliath. The Philistines were an idol-worshiping, war-loving people. They were a particular challenge for Israel because their moral system placed more value on fighting than it did on peace. To them, to them, to be a warrior was more morally acceptable to their culture than to be a peacemaker. And so they were more committed to destruction than they were to building. They were more technologically advanced than Israel. They had already advanced to Iron Age technology while Israel was still in Bronze Age methods. This advantage came to fruition on the battlefield. Their swords were more, were more powerful. They were stronger. They lasted longer. They held the edge longer than the swords that the, Philistine, that the Israelites had. This advantage in technology was concerning because... It was paired with a natural aggression in their heart. They were not content to simply hold their territory and preserve their boundaries and borders. They were ravenous in their desire to take land from their neighbors, particularly from Israel. Their goal was to advance beyond their own borders, their culture, their civilization by any means possible or necessary. Either by death or destruction, they sought to impose their will on the nations that surrounded them. This pitted them in a continual warfare against Israel that went on for centuries. For Israel to survive, they had to be in a constant state a preparedness for war and a willingness to defend their land and their territory. The battle mentioned in our text is particularly interesting to me because its inclusion in the Bible means that there are lessons for God's people to learn from this battle. The Bible is more than a storybook. Amen. It is a principle book. We learn principles of God and his will and the spirit through the stories that emerge from the pages of the Bible. And so we are not learning stories. We're learning principles of how God works. And the story that comes from this passage comes from the time at the very end of King David's life. At this point, he is old. He's in the final days of his life. The Bible tells us that David had 
trouble staying warm. Apparently, when you get old and you begin to die, you can't keep warm. That scares me because I haven't been warm for eight years. <laughs> David is old. He's about to die. As a matter of fact, this chapter of 2 Samuel starts out with the words, Now these be the last words of David. It's a melancholy introduction to a chapter of the Bible. The stories of an old dying warrior, the things that are on his mind while he's about to draw his last breath. Here he is at the end of a long and glorious life. He is at the end of a life that has been filled with victories and battles and, and full of the presence and glory of God. And here, at the last moments of his life, are the final stories that he's thinking about while he's laying there preparing to die. And one of the stories that come to the forefront of David's dying life is the story about a warrior known as Shammah, the son of Agi, the Herorite, one of David's three chief mighty men. This memory, this battle only takes two verses in the entire Bible. Just two verses to encapsulate this entire particular battle fought by Shammah. But we learn in these two verses valuable principles that we need to apply to our life and to our mission for God. Here's the story of the battle in totality. 2 Samuel 23, 11 and 12. And after him was Shammah, the son of Agi, the Herorite. And the Philistines were gathered together into a troop where was a piece of ground full of lentils. And the people fled from the Philistines. But he stood in the midst of the ground and defended it and slew the Philistines, and the Lord wrought a great victory. And that's the whole story. That's all the Bible tells us about this war. You have an enemy coming in to take a ground full of lentils. The Bible gives that particular detail. It would have seemed to me to be sufficient to say the Philistines came. But the Bible gave the detail that where they came was a field full of lentils. Not only that, but everybody else fled. Everyone else ran for their life. But one man stood in the middle of the ground and defended it and slew the enemy. And when everybody else ran away, God used one man to give a great victory. Never underestimate the value of one person that's willing to fight for what they believe in. You may stand alone in your family. You may stand alone in your school. You may stand alone in your workplace. You may stand alone in your neighborhood. But make no mistake that the man that stands alone for God never stands alone. The man that stands by himself for God is never standing by himself. For God will always stand with somebody who will stand for him. 
Amen. Everybody may not like the way I worship, but if I worship for God, I'm never by myself. They may not like what I believe in, but if I live it for God, then I'm not by myself. Let me tell you, you hold your head up, whether you're going to school, work, or to the store, and you say, I'm living for God. If I got to be the only one here that does it, that's what I'm going to do. We find that it was a piece of ground full of lentils. Lentils are not a great source of food in our day. I would dare say that very few of us have probably had very many meals that included lentils in them. Lentils are a very small, round, I guess the classification is a legume or a legume. I don't know how to say it, but I know how to eat it. But it's similar to a pea or bean. In ancient days, they were food that was particularly primarily eaten by the poor who could not afford the better, more expensive foods. It was, for all intents and purposes at that time and place, peasant food. In Jewish culture, lentils were eaten with boiled eggs at funerals to show how low and how sad they were for the person dying. The lentil was associated with death, sadness, and poverty. It was not a cash crop. It was not necessarily a crop that would, you would get a lot of money. It wasn't, if you're going to spend the time to till the ground and plant the ground and harvest the ground, you won't want to waste your time on lentils. You want, to waste, you want to use your time for something that when you take it to market, it's going to grow, it's going to bring a better, a better value. You want to spend it on corn or wheat or something that you get a little bit more bang for your buck and a little more return for your work. You don't want to take the time to invest it in lentils. But there was a reason there was a lentil field because the owner of this field apparently was so poor that he couldn't afford the seed to plant corn or the seed to plant wheat or the seed to plant barley. All he could do was afford lentils cheap seed, something, something that was inexpensive. He was so far down on the rung of, of, of financial ability for a farmer that he couldn't buy expensive seed, so he bought the cheapest seed he could find. He bought lentils, and he planted a field of lentils. It requires a question to be asked. Why would the Philistines attack a field of lentils, raising an army and supplying it is not easy or inexpensive. For a king or a president to raise an army for war, there's sacrifice involved. He has to be willing to ask mothers and wives and children to be willing to lose their sons husbands or fathers for the cause. He has to ask these same sons, husbands, and fathers to be willing to kiss their mother, wife, or children goodbye for the last time and risk their life to fight. He has to raise the money and the resources to care for an army in the field, supply lines, food, all the things it takes to send an army on a trek into a foreign land. Make sure that there's enough weapons for the battle, supplies, food, 
all the things necessary to maintain an army in the field. I read this week that one of the foundational principles of warfare is to evaluate if the potential advantage of attacking is worth the consequences of retaliation. Is the advantage of attacking worth the consequences of retaliation? For whatever reason, as it's in the public view right now and in our current events, for whatever reason, Russia and their leader felt like there was something about Ukraine that was worth enough to attack, to ask their soldiers to live in the field in battle, in harm's way. This leads to the question, what was it about a lentil field that was worth mobilizing an army for? Is it worth asking your people to risk their life for a cheap peasant food? Obviously, no reasonable king sends an army into the field to fight for something as least as little with as little value as a lentil. Nobody in their right mind would mobilize an army, form supply chains, and risk life and financial prosperity for the value of something as invaluable as a field of lentils. The answer any reasonable mind would say is no. The lentil field is not worth sending an army into a foreign land to win. And Shama knew that no reasonable king would mobilize an army for a field of lentils. When he saw the Philistines crest the hill and run towards the lentil field, he knew that the invading army is not here for the field of lentils. They're not here for this peasant food. They're not here just to take over this poor man's field. This field is just something that's in the way to what they really want. He knows that what the Philistines really want is Jerusalem, not the lentil field. It's not, it's not about the lentil field. It's about my house on the other side of the lentil field. And it's about the city or the village on the other side of my house and the next town all the way down until they get to Jerusalem and they go to the Temple Mount and attack the house of God. It's not about the field. It's about getting to the very heart of where God lives in Israel. And so they have to attack the lentil field to get the farmer's house, to get the farmer's village, to get the farmer's fat province so they can get the farmer's country, so they can get the farmer's house of God. Amen. So if they're going to take the farmer's country and they're going to take the farmer's house of God, they can't do it until first they take the field of lentils. And so the battle was never about the lentils. The battle was always about Jerusalem, the house of God, the presence of God. And Shama knew if I give them the field of lentils, then they're one step closer to my house. And they're one step closer to Jerusalem. So if I don't fight here over this little thing, then they'll the next thing you know, they'll take something bigger. 
And if I'm going to keep the enemy away from my wife and kids at home, I better stand my ground right here in the lentil field because if I give this ground, what will keep me from giving the next ground? Brothers and sisters, I hope you'll help me preach a little while this morning. I present to you what I present to you today is a basic principle of war that God is trying to give us by giving this two-verse battle story in the Bible that the enemy wants you to be willing to give up little things so he can eventually take the main thing. Praise God. Let me just say it again. He, the enemy wants you to be willing to give up a little thing so that eventually he can take the main thing. Praise God. Amen. Let me take a poll. And I want you to be honest because, because I'm getting ready to delve into some territory that, that may be a little uncomfortable for some of us. But let me just ask you, do you want me to keep on preaching or you want me just to go ahead and stop? Because if you want me to keep on preaching, then I got to tell you that there's some ground that some of us has yielded to the enemy. There's some things in our life that we've let the enemy take control of that never was the goal of the enemy. He's always driving towards your Jerusalem, the center of your relationship with God. Amen. Some of us have yielded some holiness issues over the years. Thinking, ah, that's not really a big deal. That's not really important. That's just a little thing. That doesn't really matter. That's just, Pastor just talks about that stuff just because he's got nothing else to say. And so what you've done is you've retreated from the lentil field, not understanding that the next stop is not going to be something little. It's going to be something big. And if you don't learn to fight for the little areas of your life, the enemy will not quit advancing until he takes your very relationship with God. Can I preach to you for a little while? Listen, men, I understand. Oh, God, help me. Let me tell you, men, you better keep control over who you text and message. Well, praise God. I gave you the chance to shut this down about two minutes ago, and you didn't do it, so I'm just going to go on out there. You shouldn't be texting or messaging people you're not married to. Or it's not your sister or your mom or your daughter. You need to keep yourself under control. Well, it's just a little message. It's just a little, it's just a little this, a little that. You better watch out because that's not the goal of the enemy. The goal of the enemy is to destroy your family and your marriage and your home and your walk with God. And if you give him a lentil field. Oh, come on, somebody. I'm trying to get us to understand that there is no such thing as giving territory to the enemy. There's no such thing as giving a little bit of ground because he never stops with a little bit. Shama, Shama knew that if I give up the cheap, inexpensive lentil field, that the enemy's not going to give themselves a high five and turn around and go home and say, we got the lentil field, we did it, win, victory. Let me tell you, when you drop a holiness standard, when you give up being faithful to the house of God, when you decide that it's not a good time for you to worship 
or pray or help the preacher preach and you yield that territory, you need to understand that that's just one step in the enemy's total plan of destroying your soul. And so you better stand your ground over everything. I sat years ago. It's probably been now 31, 32 years ago. I sat on a park bench with a man who used to be in ministry, used to pastor a church, used to preach to people and baptize people. And that man had given himself to adultery, lost his reputation, lost his ministry, sat on a park bench, and this man that's many, many years my senior put his face in his hands and wept. And he said, I wish I'd never started the first conversation. Because if I had never started, I never would have had to get myself out of the mess and I wouldn't be where I am now. But he failed to understand that the field of lentils wasn't the goal of the enemy. That field of lentils was just the introduction, the wink, the flirt, the wave, the smile. We're going back before social media. I know these young folks didn't know there was a world without Facebook and Instagram and all that other kind of cram stuff. But there was a world where you actually had to talk to people. I know it sounds weird. But, but this man, he told me, I wish I never would have said the first compliment to that lady. Because if I would have just kept from the very first one, it would have been a lot easier to keep it from happening than to stop it from happening. But instead, I sat on a park bench with a broken man with no reputation and no ministry because he failed to understand the value of a field full of lentils. And by the time the enemy was done, it controlled his Jerusalem. And he's never been the same since. So here's the apostolic strategy for war. We never, ever, ever yield any territory of our lives to the enemy under any circumstances. Regardless of how insignificant we are tempted to believe that it is. You may be seated. I understand you're not shouting over it, but I'm going to tell you, if you'll get this in your heart, it'll spare you a lot of marriage trouble and a lot of family trouble and a lot of spiritual trouble. I never, ever yield any territory of our lives to the enemy, regardless of how insignificant. If we're having worship and the devil tempts you not to respond, you ought to respond just to not yield the territory. If it's altar service and you're tempted to go out to the restroom instead of come to the altar, you ought to walk double fast to the altar just to not yield any territory. It's an apostolic strategy for war. I never give place to the devil. I'm going to give you all another chance. 
How, how many of you want me to quit now? Or how many of you, if you want me to keep preaching, just wave at me a little bit. I'm giving you an out right now. According to the resource I was using, this particular battle happened in harvest time. The people were out in the pea patch, in the lentil field, gathering the harvest when the enemy attacked. I find it amazing that the enemy attacked at harvest time. He wasn't there when the hard work of plowing had to be done. He wasn't there when stumps and rocks had to be dug out. He wasn't there in the hot sun when the seed was sowed or the water was carried from the well. But he showed up at harvest time when the lentils are ready to harvest. The enemy came at harvest time to steal the harvest from the people of God. May I tell the church something that, that we need to consider and file in our spiritual man that the greatest hindrance to revival and to harvest is division. I know this is more of a Sunday night style message, but if I don't preach it this morning, some of you would never hear it. Because you've already given that lentil field to the enemy. Be good, John. Be good. Be, be, be good. Be good. Be good. The greatest hindrance to revival is division. The devil knows he can't overcome a united church. So he tries to bring division between people in any way that he can. We need to be aware that the enemy would like to get you to say or do something that would offend a brother or sister or like to get you offended at a brother or sister. But it's harvest time. It's harvest time. We got to defend the field of unity. The Chinese general, Sun Tzu, wrote in the art of war. Come here, Peyton. I need your help. I got a smudge on my glasses. I put my own fingerprint on it, and it's aggravating me so bad that I can't see through it. And so if you'll help me out, I'll finish this message. <laughs> Amen. The problem with having smudges when you got eyes like mine is if you take your glasses off, you can't see the smudge to clean it. You put it back on, it's still there. You take it back off, you can't see it to clean it. And it just, so I've decided to enlist a soldier to help me with this lentil field. <laughs> Amen. When you're through with the beans, let me know. Let me tell you, the enemy would like to get us divided at each other. Little things here and there. Little pockets of fire coming up here and there because he knows it's harvest time and I got to stop the harvest any way that I can. I understand there's issues and you need to talk them out and work them out, but don't let the devil put a wedge between you and somebody that you've spent your life loving and caring about. The Chinese general Sun Tzu wrote in The Art of War, he said, know the enemy and know yourself. Know the enemy and know yourself and you will never lose a battle. My brothers and sisters, we need to know the devil we're fighting. 
and we need to know ourselves. If you know you've got a weakness in an area, then stay away from that area. If you know you've got a weakness in part of your life, then get away from it. If you know you struggle with faithfulness, then you make up your mind, I'm coming to the house of God every time I can. You got to know your enemy and know yourself. Let me, let me preach a little bit longer. In 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 2, 7 through 10, the apostle Paul wrote about forgiving those who had caused grief and sorrow and heaviness. And he finishes that passage of scripture with verse number 11, 2 Corinthians 2 and 11. Lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. Know your enemy and know yourself. Know your enemy and know yourself. If you're an alcoholic, don't go into a bar to eat wings. You're going to come out drunk. You got to know your enemy and you got to know yourself. If you struggle, my God help me, if you struggle with unity and get along with people, stay away from the gossip. They'll plant a seed in your spirit and you'll walk out full of bitterness. If you struggle with worship, don't sit next to a dead head. Get up here around these young folks and let them grab you and help you worship. I'm preaching about know your enemy and know yourself. Give no ground. I, I got to hurry. If you don't remember anything else from this morning's message, please remember the phrase I'm getting ready to tell you. That the mind is the starting point of all war and all strategy. The mind is the starting point of all war. One strategy for war is known as the polarity strategy. Life is an endless battle and conflict. And you cannot fight effectively unless you can identify your enemy. Once you know you have an enemy, you have to inwardly declare war on that enemy. Your enemy is not your friend. Your polar opposite. That's why it's called the polarity strategy. You can't be nice with an addiction. You have to get polar to the opposite of it. You can't play with sin. You got to get polar to the opposite. It's the polarity strategy. Once you know you have an enemy, you must inwardly declare war on that enemy. Amen. Praise God. I knew some old preachers that come out of alcoholism. I preached for some old, man, when I preached for them, they were old, they, they were old as dirt. And that's pretty old. They were old. But when we would go and I'd preach for these guys, we'd go towards a restaurant to eat, and they'd drive by a place and say, We don't go in there because they have a bar in there. And they drive by another place and they say, we don't go in there because they have a bar in there. We go by every, we didn't up at Taco Bell or Burger King. <laughs> Almost every time because these men had been brought out of alcoholism. 
And so they knew they had an enemy, so they stayed as far I'm not saying everybody has to do that, but they knew in their mind, I drew, I drew a line there. You gotta be willing to draw lines in your life that keep your soul and your family safe. It's a polarity strategy. I refuse to give ground to my enemy. I have declared war on what is declared war on me. Hallelujah. An apostolic strategy for war means we don't take off days in the battle. I'm not in a Sunday morning only war. I'm not in a Sunday and Wednesday war. I'm in a seven day a week, 365 days a year, every year for the rest of my life battle. I can't expect to win if I only live for God on Sunday and on Monday I'm no different from everybody else in the world. I know this isn't exciting preaching, but I'm trying to keep somebody from becoming a casualty of the enemy. I'm preaching about an apostolic strategy for war. I got to wake up on Monday morning with the same determination that I walk out of church on Sunday with. I have a polarity strategy. I am different from the world. I am different from my enemy. We have to adopt what Robert Greene called the guerrilla war of the mind strategy. I like that. I like that. I don't know where he got it, but wherever Mr. Green got it, I like what it, it's the guerrilla war of the mind strategy. He said, quote, what most often weighs you down and brings you misery is your past. You cannot, I'm, I'm still quoting, you cannot keep fighting your past and go forward and win your future victory. He said, you must wage a guerrilla war on your mind. You have to force yourself to not dwell on the past battle. Repent of it. Move along. You can't face your future if you're looking back. You can't face tomorrow if you're looking to yesterday. You can't face your destiny if you're facing your past mistakes. You've got to make guerrilla war on your mind and say, I refuse to let what I used to be affect what I am and what I'm going to be. I'm not what I was. It's under the blood of Jesus. God, I wish somebody would say amen right now. I wish somebody that knows I'm preaching to you. And you, there's people here right now that say, it's almost like Pastor was listening to me in my living room. It's not I was listening, God was listening. You've got to cut the ties with your past and say, I'm not what I was. I'm going forward for victory. I'm moving ahead. I'm not always going to label myself. Amen. Can I, can I preach for a minute? I, I remember, I, I remember when Brother Wilson when I was a youth pastor, I didn't have any kids, and so I'm glad I remember it because I, I've tried to use it now. But I, but I remember when Brother Wilson used to tell people, don't tell your kids they're bad. He's because if you tell them they're bad, you're going to prophesy it into their life, and they're going to make it, they're going to make what you said right about them. Let me tell you, don't just keep saying, I'm a drug addict, I'm this, I'm that. You used to be, but you're not anymore. you got to turn your back on your past and face your future. You are victorious. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty. 
don't say I'm weak, say I'm strong. Don't say I'm defeated, say I'm victorious. The weapons of my warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty through God. Wage a guerrilla war on your mind. That ought to be easy for some of us because some of us act like guerrillas. I said us, not you. You can't face your future looking back. An apostolic strategy for war is that once it's repented of, leave it in the past. Walk away from it and go forward. Hallelujah. Give me just a couple more minutes. I'll stop. The book I referred to said that to win a war, you have to develop what he called, quote, a death ground strategy. A death ground strategy. In other words, he said, you have to mentally place yourself on death ground where your back is against the wall and you have to fight like crazy to get out alive. Death ground. Death ground. Look at somebody tell them it's my death ground. I cannot approach my walk with God nonchalant and passive. I have to do everything that I can to make sure that me and my family make heaven our home. Whatever it takes, we got to be saved. If I have to change who I hang out with, I'm on my death ground. I got to fight. If I have to cut some things out of my life that are a weight to my soul, I'm on my death ground. There's no tomorrow. There's no other time. I've got to fight like crazy right now to save my marriage. There's no option but to fight. I'm preaching about an apostolic strategy for war. You can't play nice with your temptations and expect to win. This is death ground. If you can't control the app, get the app off your phone. If you can't get the app off your phone and leave it off your phone, get rid of your phone. Well, I need it for this, I need it for that. No, you need to go to heaven. Whatever it takes, you're on death ground. You're on death ground. Well, I, I, got, I need these people in my life. You don't need those people in your life as bad as you need to go to heaven. You're on death ground. Whatever I got to do, I just got to do it. I got to be saved. My family's got to be saved. I can't stand the thought of my babies being in hell for eternity. This is death ground. It's fight. It's fight until the death for my soul. You see, everybody else thought that it was just a field of lentils, but Shama thought it was death ground. Everybody else thought it was peasant food, but Shama thought this is death ground. Everybody else thought this is something I could run from, but Shama said, if I run from this, then my kids are next, and my wife is next, and if I don't, if I don't take a stand now, then something I really love and value is going to be gone. So this might be a hill of beans to everybody else, but to me, this is death ground. To me, this is everything. To me, this is all of it. you got to get a death ground strategy. I refuse to give in to the enemy. It's a fight for my soul. Our survival is tied. Our survival is tied 
to how we approach our battles. This is the last one. This is the last one. He said that the next strategy for war is what's known as the morale strategy. He said, quote, the secret to maintaining morale is to think less about yourself and more about the group. Our survival is tied to the success of the army as a whole. We need each other. We're in this together. Your kids may not think it, and you may not think it, but your kids need the youth group. You may not think you need it, but you need life group. And you need Wednesday night Bible study. And you need, you need pre-service prayer. Your success is tied. I didn't expect a whole lot of amens right there because I know I'm fighting the flesh right now. But if you're going to win, you've got to understand, I need the body of Christ. I need to be involved. Finally, finally. I, thought I said finally, but I really mean finally. It's the final finally. Stand with me if you promise not to take the quick exit to the restroom when I have you stand. Somehow I, I think I, ha I speak a foreign language because when I say please stand, some people interpret in their mind as go to the bathroom. Finally, he said there is the deterrence strategy. The deterrence. Everybody say deterrence. The best way to fight off the enemy is to let them know that they are biting off more than they can chew. Here's the exact quote from the book. Man, I love this. Quote, build up a reputation that you're a little crazy. <laughs> That's the easiest thing I've preached to myself in all my life. 33 years of preaching, that's the most like me I've ever heard. <laughs> Build up the reputation that you're a little crazy. Fighting you is not worth it. <laughs> if your opponents are never sure what messing with you will cost, they will not want to find out. Ooh, hallelujah. See, the reason some of us are in such a battle all the time is because we've not made the devil afraid of what will happen if he comes at us. Because he comes at us and we just quit coming to church. He comes at us and we just don't worship. He comes at us and we just sit there like a bump on a log. When the, what we should be doing is when the devil comes at us, he ignites that little bit of crazy inside of us that makes me worship like I've never worshiped before and pray like I've never prayed before. That the devil knows if I pick on those people, they're going to beat my head in with shouting and tongue talking and Holy Ghost and running the aisles and speaking in tongues and lifting their hands. If I pick on those people, they're going to pray more than they've ever prayed and be more faithful than they've ever been and reach more people than they've ever reached. Somebody ought to take their tough, they ought to take yourself to another level right now and let the devil know you've messed with the wrong bean field. You've messed 
with the wrong lentil field. You've messed with the wrong mama. You've, you've messed with the wrong daddy. Some of you young folks ought to let the devil know you messed with the wrong young man, the wrong young lady. I'm going to another level. The devil's gonna learn when he comes at me that I'm not going down. I'm taking my walk with God to another level. I wish somebody'd do it right now. I wish somebody's been fighting the devil all week would let your praise go to a level that the devil says I'm not messing with them. They're a little bit crazy. I wish a young person that's had a rough go the last few weeks would just take your praise to a level that makes the devil think, I better not try that again. I wish a daddy would, would just take his praise to another level so the devil would know, I'm not messing with that family. I'm not messing with that kid. They crazy. time for some crazy praise and some crazy shouting and some crazy tongue talking. It's an apostolic strategy. I said it's an apostolic strategy for war. You ought to take somebody by the hand and shout a little bit. Hey, Hey, I'm talking about an apostolic strategy for war. I ain't messing with them no more. I learned my lesson. They done beat my head in. They shot it all over my head. Hey, I feel something rising up. I'm preaching about an apostolic strategy for war. Come on, we need to get a little crazy up in here. The devil needs to learn his lesson.
Jesus. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Thank you for ministering to us in word. Hallelujah. Thank you, Pastor. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. God is good. Hallelujah. Just briefly, when we did our audio clip of prayer to be sent over, it's because the weapons of our warfare is not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Thank you, Pastor. Thank you for bringing the Word of God. Thank you for confirming what God is doing in His kingdom. Hallelujah. We invite you back for service tonight, but come at 6 to stoke the fires of revival in prayer in the prayer room. 6 o'clock for prayer, 6.30 for worship service. Go with God this morning. Thank you. <laughs>